0: Eve and welcome to the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. Visit the website abotanicalcompany.com. That's abotanicalcompany.com. Or give them a call, 405-458-9699. Educate yourself on what they have and how it can benefit your daily life. Uh, You've got to check out the website, newly remodeled. It is outstanding. A botanical company.com. And when you check out online, use the discount code Colby Show, C O L B Y S H O W, Colby Show for 15% off your online order. Uh, so awesome deal. I'm super excited that we're able to save you some money this holiday season. Colby Show is the discount. When you check out online, abotanicalcompany.com and get 15% off your online order. So, again, newly uh, remodeled website. It looks outstanding, easy to navigate, easy and safe pickup uh, after you order online. So, really, really cool. And I certainly appreciate Artisan Botanicals. All right. So, Oklahoma over Florida, fifty-five twenty last night in the Cotton Bowl. There is a lot to discuss, so I'm not going to spend too much time uh, making comments here. Eric G. is going to join me, and we're going to dedicate the entire conversation to uh, Oklahoma, Florida, not to mention uh, just everything revolving around the two conferences, what to expect going forward, uh, who may or may not come back next season for Oklahoma, and the expectations. Uh, Alex Grinch, uh, you know, just just all of it. So, um, yeah, get ready for that. I do think uh, Dan Mullen... Looks like a clown after his comments last night. Uh, if you if you are at the point where you don't even think this was a football game, then you probably shouldn't be accepting your bowl bonus. Um, and it's I'm I'm just I'm kind of shocked that any coach in a competitive situation would take the approach that he did with his postgame comments. Uh, all that said, I, I will I will say this for the people that say Florida was not the same team. True, I agree with that. For the people that say the receivers would have made a difference, true. I agree with that. Here's the biggest issue, though. I think when you talk about the players that were out, the secondary players for Florida especially, uh, starting corner, starting safety, the the top four pass catchers, obviously all of those guys play a big role in what Florida is and how they play. That said, that doesn't change anything as far as Oklahoma dominating the line of scrimmage Offensive line, defensive line for four quarters, all night long, Oklahoma was the more physical team. So while Oklahoma probably doesn't win by 35, if Florida has those secondary players and those pass catchers, I still think it's an Oklahoma victory for the same reason that Oklahoma has been losing to SEC teams in the past is the reason why Oklahoma still wins this game if Florida has all their pass catchers. Oklahoma was by far the superior team on the line of scrimmage, again, all night long on both sides of the football. So um, this Oklahoma team obviously plays a different brand of football than they've played in the past. They are much more physical. The defense is the real deal. And uh, I I think 2021, especially considering who could come back and be a part of this team, the 2021 Sooners could be a big problem for not only the Big 12, but potentially college football. So here we go. Today's guest on the Colby Daniels podcast, Eric G from the Sports Animal Tulsa. Eric G, Happy New Year's Eve! I hope you got some sleep last night. I'm sure after the uh, the post game festivities and everything else that you experienced at AT and T Stadium, Jerry World following Oklahoma's big win, uh, you're probably pretty juiced up, huh? Yeah, um,
1: that was what that was what I call a classic OU win last night. And there's a criteria for what I, for what is now a classic OU win. One, they've got to be Somebody who has a little bit of name recognition, or at least some name recognition. So check the box off that Florida certainly qualifies. Two, they've got to score at least forty five points, preferably fifty, simply because that's the very Switzer standard of how you judge whether or not it's a good game. You can check that off the box. Half a hundred, sure. Three, three, and fans are gonna like this. A national championship can't really be on the line, so check that off the box.
0: <laughs> oh, man.
1: Below the belt, sir. Sorry, I'm bitter. 20, 20, years, 20 years with no with no other national championship trophies in that case they'd be a very bitter, angry fan. Sorry about that. I hope there are some fans that share my sentiments. If you don't, it's it's okay, well, I'll still buy you a beer. Uh, you can still tell me how, how Lincoln Riley's the second best coach in the school's history. Um, and, there, and there have been why like it's the last criteria. It's a win that OU fans absolutely love. Because next to Alabama, OU fans and Alabama fans are just so damn similar. I mean, really, honestly, they are. But next to Alabama, OU fans love nothing more Than to throw it in someone's face. And last night, OU fan with total OU fan, they did not disappoint. And had I been in the stands, I'd have been right there with them. So this (laughs) is not, you know, this is not, not a criticism because look, you you got to own what you are, right, Colby? And I I know I'm an OU fan. That's right. But, But when they did the Gator Chomp and the SEC chant. That that warmed the heart. It's like that this this is what you call a classic OU win because OU fans love me. there's just this this element from OU fans is still us versus the world. They really still do have that mentality, even though they are one of college football's elite programs. And I'll argue that, that OU is college football's premier program. And looking at the total the total of the entire of the entire history of college football. But there's still this us against the world mentality that OU has. And last night it was on full display. So classic OU win. It checked it checked all the boxes. And let's just hope that national championship not being on the line can eventually be erased out of that category. And next year we see OU win a national championship. Not just compete for one, but win for one. So there you go.
0: Not to change the subject, and we'll we'll come right back to this, but uh, for those that are watching the stream right now, I've just got to explain something. So, about 30 minutes ago, I came into my studio, I'm getting everything ready, and uh, I just, I had this, like, single nose hair that kept tickling, like, the rim of my nostril. Like, it's just, like, just this one, and it was driving me insane, and so I kept, like, kind of, like, itching my nose and rubbing my nose to try and, and... ease the uncomfortableness of it. So finally, like right before we started, I went downstairs and I plucked the nose hair and my eye, like one eye has now been watering for like 30 minutes. So if if you see like one eye watering, it's because I just plucked a nose hair and somehow it's connected to my eyeball that um, now just like can't stop watering. So there you go. That's, uh, That's what you're seeing right now. Uh, if you're watching the stream and not listening to this on the podcast, and if you're listening to this just on the podcast, then thank God.
1: Uh, anyway. Th- well, um, just real quick, Manscaped. Get the weed Whacker. <laughs> it, it, it'll change your life. <laughs> and
0: uh, that's uh, that's your opportunity, Manscaped, to sponsor this podcast. Uh, <laughs> shameless plug. Um, no, you, you mentioned the SEC chant like that came through loud and clear on the television broadcast, which uh, which was very amusing to me because for as much as the broadcast spent letting us all know that Florida was out without some key players and they, they were decimated from a depth standpoint and all that other stuff. And Joe Tessitore made it a point to let everybody know. I mean, even if you missed the first quarter. Joe Tessitore wanted to make sure that you heard it in the second quarter, or the third quarter, or the fourth quarter. So he didn't want to make you know he didn't want to leave anybody out. So no matter what point you you joined the broadcast last night, Joe Tessitore is going to let you know that Florida was without a bunch of key players. All that said, uh, I do find it amusing that all of a sudden there are people that are saying, "Well, you can't celebrate that win," while you know, the whole like SEC defense thing and the whole, you know, the SEC's just built different thing and the James Houston comments before the game. I totally get that Florida's a different team without all of those players. That also doesn't take away the comments that were made before the game. And if you're holding on to that, Oklahoma shouldn't be celebrating BS. I I, I think that's absurd.
1: No, they they definitely should celebrate this win for, for a lot of reasons. First and foremost, you're you're ending on a high. First, first and foremost, you made it through the season. Lincoln Riley wasn't wrong when he talks about anybody who was able to get in five, six games this year. We'll, we'll give the Pac-12 a, a little bit of credit. Um, I mean, Colorado was what five and zero going into that game that they got beat with Texas. Anybody who was able to play this year under these circumstances had a successful celebration or, or successful season and really should celebrate. too. let let's think about OU's season and how it started off. OU, OU has back-to-back losses to Kansas State and Iowa State. they got to rally the troops just to win a Big 12 championship. Now they get the opportunity to make a statement game, and the thing that everybody loves to pick at OU for is not being able to win in statement games. Myself included on that. But OU accomplished that last night. They Dominated. It is a bowl game. It is a cotton bowl championship. And it it's another thing that Lincoln Riley can use to go out and recruit. Um, fans can go out and buy the shirt. And yes, Florida may have been depleted. Nine starters out last night, only 60 scholarship players, whatever. But you can't tell me that those guys on the other side of the ball weren't four and five star recruits, weren't really good high school football players, won't be good here in a couple of years. And had they gone out and played their best game last night, they probably could have made it more competitive. So, no, that win should be celebrated. It was a butt-kicking. And what OU fans are just going to have to live with for now until the rest of their life is that as long as ESPN and the SEC are in bed together, that narrative is is going to happen. Like Fox News and the Republican Party and, and MSNBC and the Democratic Party. It's SEC... And the ESPN, and (laughs) you you got two choices: either don't watch ESPN anymore, or just learn to ignore it, and then pop off on social. You know, pick your spots and pop off on social media because those those battles can be fun. It it is what it is. But now, celebrate. Um, Just make sure you wear a mask when you do it.
0: There you go. Uh, Dan Mullen made sure to let us all know that Florida season actually ended. What eleven days ago? I think was the quote. Uh, and then he, he said that he thought Florida's scout team did an okay job or something along those lines. Um, Dan Mullen's comments, kind of funny. And, uh, and, and certainly, uh, I think OU fans are having a good time with his postgame comments. But, uh, yeah, look, Oklahoma scored 48 points on Missouri State. For the people that are telling me, like, Florida was without starters, you're telling me that Florida's backups are worse than an FCS school? Missouri State? Like, come on. They, the bottom line is Oklahoma just absolutely annihilated a team that certainly would have been better with all of their players available at the same time Eric like my biggest takeaway from the game has nothing to do with the skill position players at all it, it has everything to do with Oklahoma dominating the line of scrimmage on both sides of the yep. ball for like what 80 90 percent of the game
1: yeah that that that's that. Uh, well, especially on the offensive side uh, of the ball. I Spencer Rattler had time last night when Oklahoma decided that they were going to run the ball last night. They were able to do it very successfully. Um, what did Ramondre Stevenson have carrying the ball last night? At one point. Um, 18 one point, for 186. He, okay. At one point I looked up and he, and I believe it was, maybe it wasn't Yeah, I think it was him and Seth McGowan at one point I looked up. They were averaging 11 yards per carry. Well, the team as a whole ended up averaging
0: 10.9. For the game, Ramondre Stevenson averaged 10.3. Marcus Major averaged 12.2. Mikey Henderson only had one carry, but it was for 18 yards. And Seth McGowan only had one carry, and it was for 73 yards. But, yeah, Oklahoma as a whole carried the ball 40 times and averaged 10.9 yards per carry.
1: Yeah, and, and, and honestly, um, the game plan the, the game plan that Lincoln Riley did or some of the play calling that Lincoln Riley did was a bit surprising because OU, with the way they were dominating up front, never really had to put the ball in the air. And, and it was surprising to see how many times, especially early on in the game, Lincoln Riley wanted to go deep, wanted to see how much he could stretch the field and, and, and test those Florida defensive backs, when really... It felt like the game plan all along should have been: look, just just go old fashioned, hat on hat, man on man, open up the holes, and let your and let your backs back take care of it. And, and Ramondre Stevenson proved late in the third quarter there was a drive late in the third quarter that if you are a football fan, I mean, really love football, it brought a tear to your eye after he broke off that long run and then eventually had a 15-yard run that. Um, that ended up putting the, putting the game on ice late the third quarter, and it just felt like okay, that's what should have been going on all along. There was there was no need, there, there just wasn't a need to test Florida's defensive backs because there was nothing there to test. And as far as the SEC and their defenses go, I'm glad you brought this up, Colby. This has been a weak ass year in the SEC for defenses, no doubt. And, and we said and te- before, teams in general, you know, we said, yeah. Yeah. we've said this before, we're not breaking any new ground here. In fact, we're being repetitive but OU and Florida somewhat traded places going into this game, uh, which is kind of interesting when you think about how what, what the final score was because Florida's best shot to win this game was turn it into a shootout. OU's best shot going into the end of this game was put them in a phone booth. Right. And yet somehow OU still managed to score 50, but normally the, the SEC wants to be big and physical and Be as balanced as possible. And now you're, they've got a lot of really good quarterbacks in that league, a lot of really good skill players. And they just, it it looks like the Big 12 did last year, two, three years ago. That's what the SEC looks like right now. And then probably not even that good because once you get past Alabama, Georgia, Florida, who I mean, who really scares you in the SEC this year? I mean, honestly, I, else is pretty. Mediocre. I don't think
0: Florida and Georgia really scare you. I mean, I, I they're they're as good mm-hmm. as as anybody else's top teams in a conference. So, I mean, it's it's I it's so crazy because for like ten years I've defended the SEC, especially in this area where you know everybody wants to say that that the Big Twelve is is close or whatever, and I'm like, not really. I mean, the SEC has clearly been ahead of the Big Twelve by a pretty decent margin for a long time. And all of a sudden we we hit 2020 and I find myself on the complete opposite side of the argument because if you're actually watching the football and not just, I think, absorbing what the talking heads have been telling you for a decade and just giving the sec credit for, you know, tradition and the last decade, if you actually watched their teams play football this year, you saw a completely different brand of football nearly across the board. I mean, for crying out loud, look at what Florida, the teams you just mentioned, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, look at the way they're playing. It's a completely different brand of yep. football than it's been for the last 10 years. And when you look at the teams that they're beating, nobody is is the same or or even brings the same sort of physicality that they used to. So this idea that the SEC from top to bottom is this gauntlet that you just have to, you get beat up every single week. That's not true anymore. Maybe it's a down year. And no. Maybe it's a down year and they're they're back to the same SEC in twenty twenty one. I'm not saying that they can't do that. I'm just saying the football I watched in twenty twenty, basically, if you take Alabama out of the equation, the SEC is just every other conference. There was nothing that separated yeah, no. the SEC from anybody else other than the best team in the country whose name is Alabama. But, you know, Florida's a team that had a bad defense all year long, got beat up all year long. Offensively, you know, they they are what they are. They can score a lot of points when, obviously, those receivers are out there. But, again, when you take away the line of scrimmage and you start dominating from a physicality standpoint, uh, they're they're somewhat neutralized. I mean, you know, we've seen this from OU's standpoint uh, on the other side of that fence. So, uh, across the board, the SEC just wasn't as good this year as it's been. And they get a lot of credit, and, and rightfully so, over the last decade. They, they deserve all the credit that they've gotten over the last 10 years. In 2020, I think that is unwarranted credit because they didn't really earn it. This season, they're living off reputation. In 2020, it was a completely different league, and like I said, take away Alabama, and they're just like everybody else.
1: Well, what what you learned last night is that had you thrown Oklahoma, okay, Oklahoma, Bedlam on. Okay, I mean, not, not the Oklahoma that lost to Iowa State in case they would kind of excuse the argument a little bit, but had you thrown Oklahoma into the SEC this year, there's no doubt that they would have been competing for a conference championship. Um, you, you know, what you for as good as Florida was this year and for as depleted as they were last night, is there anything you saw in that game that told you that if Florida had their full allotment of players, that Oklahoma not only couldn't be on the same field with them, but wouldn't beat them. And I didn't see that at all. Well what I saw is if Oklahoma and Florida both played their best games and both had everything going for them. It's probably it's going to be a much tighter game than it was last night, but it's still going to give the edge to Oklahoma and think that they would the think that they would win. You made a great point about Kyle Trash. Without his receivers, he didn't look near, near the quarterback that he had been accumulating all the stats that, that, that made him a Heisman finalist. And that's something that OU fans have been wanting for years. And, and what we don't know definitively, though, Colby, and this is what's a little bothersome, is if OU was able to compete in the SEC this year, does that say more about where OU is as a program now and the level of talent that Lincoln Riley and his coaches are bringing in on both sides of the ball or does it say more about the SEC taking a step back this year? Because none of us could could, could argue that, that LSU didn't take a major step back. Um Auburn w- w- was a bit of a roller coaster this year. Now A and M, we forgot about A and M. We did not we did not mention A and M. A and M took a step up this year. But Oklahoma, Alabama, Florida, A and M, Georgia, those teams are all they kinda look all about equal. Yeah. I mean, Alabama's defense isn't isn't shutting anybody down. Now, they may do it against Notre Dame. Notre Dame may play into their hands, and that game may look a hell of a lot more lopsided than what it is, but I, I don't think OU could step on the field. I don't think if OU steps on the field with Alabama, they're getting embarrassed. Not this year. Yeah,
0: they could. I mean, they could put up a fight in a much better way from a physicality standpoint than they have in the past. I mean, your your question about is it OU or the SEC? I think it's a combination. OU is clearly a better football team and a more well-rounded football team. And and again, most of it is just predicated on being able to match up on the line of scrimmage against you know the physicality of what is is just now called SEC football. Um, I mean, Oklahoma looked like the SEC team last night. Bottom line, they were just they were more physical where it really counts on the line of scrimmage on both sides. Florida was completely predicated on skill positions, which is what the Big 12 has been known for for a decade. And it doesn't matter how good you are at the skill positions. If you don't win the line of scrimmage, over the course of 60 minutes, you're going to lose the war. You may win a few battles. You may be able to get the ball out a few times, and those skill position players may hit some big plays. But we've seen this for, you know, since... Everybody's been complaining about Oklahoma not living up to the hype in these big games. That's exactly why. They lose the battle on the line of scrimmage. They lose the physicality battle. So no matter who's throwing the football, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, no matter who's catching the football, Hollywood Brown, CeeDee Lamb, name your other Oklahoma great receiver, DeeDee Westbrook. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're losing the line of scrimmage the majority of the time over the course of 60 minutes. Just bottom line. So, like, this this, this idea that Oklahoma would not have beaten Florida if they had all their pass catchers, I think is absurd. Would it have been a 35-point win? Obviously not. Obviously, Florida would have been much more potent offensively. Kyle Trask would have been a completely different guy. Um, and, and Florida's going to score some points. I, I, I don't dispute that at all. But this idea that Florida's just going to win the game simply because they have receivers, when they clearly were dominated on the line of scrimmage for four quarters... I find that hard to believe.
1: Uh, That's a good point. And going back to something you talked about a little bit earlier, Dan Mullen and ESPN making the excuses. Well, Dan Mullen's comments last night tell you that he'll never win a championship in Florida. Because honestly, even if that was the truth, and that is how he felt, the difference between a guy like him and a guy like Nick Saban is Nick Saban, after OU derailed them in the Sugar Bowl a few years back, chastised his team and coaches. <laughs> yeah. Chastised, pointed out, these guys forgot how hard it is to win. Our players and our coaches forgot how hard it is to win a college football game. And he did say, hey, Oklahoma beat us because we didn't want to be there. And at the first, OU fans looked at that as an excuse when reality, what Nick Sabin was saying because you guys didn't want to be there you got your butt kicked you, you, you went out there you played like you didn't want to be there and this is what the results are you can't just show up be Alabama and think that you're not going to get everybody's best shot because you got those numbers on the side of your helmet you're a target Dan Mullen last night making excuses for his team sets a tone for not just next year but the entire program that Hey, you know, if we don't have everyone, it's okay. It's okay if we lose because coach has got our back, right? I mean, he honestly should have ripped his players last night, and it would have been, it would have been, if you're a Florida fan, what you wanted to hear from him last night was, I don't care if these are four and five star guys playing. I, well, I don't care if they haven't played lick. You come to the University of Florida. There are expectations here that we have built over the last. Uh, we've many here since Steve Spurrier's here, since I've been an assistant, that is not the University of Florida that you saw last night. That was ridiculous. We're embarrassed. And I promise you, I mean, pull the tin keyboard. I promise you, we're gonna go back and work our asses off in the spring and we're gonna we're gonna make up for this. And instead he, you know, you pull the well, you know, we could have opted out if we wanted to, which says and what's weird is he tried to recover, saying, "Well, you know, my young kids wanted to play, so that's why we went." Yeah. Now you didn't want to be there. Your players didn't want to be there, and you got your butt kicked, and now you're making excuses for it. And the lesson to learn is, it, it is tough to win college football games. and you and you better go. You always practice like you play. We say that a million times. It, it just seemed like. I mean, look—you want a meander? You, you can't get down fourteen to nothing and then decide to wake up and and not have the better team. But it was Dan Mullen. Those, those were some embarrassing statements from him last night. Just completely embarrassing. And you know that 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 was the time you could have rallied your troops. But you're you're a Florida fan. It's going to be a long few years because you may get close, but you're never going to get the cigar. He will never be the guy like Nick Saban. Not with not yeah. peddling that attitude.
0: John Shin had a great tweet last night. He said something along the lines of, "I wonder if Dan Mullen is going to give his bowl bonus back since since this wasn't a, a real game and Florida season ended." Because <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure he that's in should. his I'm sure that's in his checking account, right?
1: He should uh, I, honestly. If you're the Florida AD, you're like, nah, I'm not writing that check. Sue us <laughs> if you want. Right? If you're li- got, if you're we- literally we- going to
0: say that this game like basically doesn't count, then why are you getting a bowl bonus?
1: Yeah. And that'd be gonna show a face for him to reject it, nah, not not take the ball bonus this year. Yeah, I, I would I, I would actually and, respect and then, that move. <laughs> I would too. And and then you can couch it then you can couch it like look, everybody's hurt it's COVID nineteen. That money needs to be used for other programs. Let's see if Dan Mullen yeah. pulled some crap like that. You know we won't, but no, that that would be respectful. She's watching the game again last night. They're watching the game again right now as we talk and then just oh you was. Boy, no. Yeah, that
0: That's why, you know, again, yeah. we, we knew before kickoff even happened and, and we talked about it for basically 48 hours after the two receivers opted out on, on what was it? Monday or Tuesday, uh, Monday. Um, we knew that Oklahoma wasn't going to get a lot of credit for beating this Florida team after those guys had opted out. But I, I think when you see how, just embarrassing that loss was for Florida and just how dominant Oklahoma was on the line of scrimmage from a physicality standpoint against the almighty, the all physical SEC. Um, I, I mean, I I don't know how you don't take away something from that. Like this idea that you just, you just wash it away because Florida didn't have some key players to me is absurd. They were, they were completely dominated from a physicality standpoint. And that's what the SEC is supposed to be known for, and that's why people feel like the SEC is separated from every other conference.
1: Well, the, the thing. You're built it, different, it, Eric. You're built strictly, different. It just, it just means more, right? Yeah. that, that that's, that's what that, that's what they say on the SEC network. It just means more. Well, last night proved that that's, that's, that's a crock. It, it doesn't always just mean more, but, the thing about it is when you're a competitor, when you're an athlete, all right, and you're putting, you're put in a situation where you're carrying the flag for more than, than just your school, just the name on the back of your Jersey. When you're carrying it for the entire conference that, you know, has a book written by Paul Feinbaum, our conference is our conference can beat your conference or whatever it is. My conference can be your conference up or whatever. Then, you've got to – you're under a lot of pressure to go out and make it safe. And to, to watch Florida just kind of show up, meander through that game, switch quarterback, and even during series, you know, flow in and out with the quarterback, it, it felt like they were treating this as a scrimmage. Eh, let's just get some different looks out there. That, but that's not your job. As a coach and as a program, you have to go out and you have to you have to be the flag bearer for, for that. And, and on that stage, you have to be the flag bearer. That's embarrassing to the SEC. And I don't know how I don't know how Dan Mullen recovers from this. To be quite honest, I mean, yeah, you get your 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 full allotment of players back next year, and it should be more of a normal season. But I mean, this is one of those that with Florida comes up a couple of games short next year okay, they, let's say they miss the SEC championship game, Georgia's better, or lo and behold, somehow Tennessee gets magically good overnight. This game starts to add up on, this, this game will hang over over his head. People will go back to that game and how unprepared his team was. Yeah. And even though, even though there are excuses or reasons or whatever that can be made for why Florida didn't perform that well, Florida fan is not going to want to hear it. Unless he makes up for it next year and has them in the college football playoff, and if he doesn't, people are going to point to this. People are going to point to, to how he's coming up short. I mean, Dan Bullen, Dan Mullen put himself on front street last night, and, and it doesn't seem like he really fully understands the ramifications of all that just went down.
0: Yeah, no doubt. You know, you, you mentioned the term like treat this as a scrimmage, and I, I think that that part of that is is absolutely true but even in a scrimmage, like there's still an expectation that your big boys are going to be physical. Like that's, that's what this entire game is predicated on. And like, I just go back to what the sec is known for and why the big 12 has been looked at as, as a secondary conference because they've lacked physicality for a decade. It's been all about skill players and all about flashy offenses. And, and again, like we, we saw this when Oklahoma faced Clemson, we saw it when they faced Georgia, like Yes, they are superior in the skill positions and that is going to get you a long way. But at the end of the day, if you're losing the line of scrimmage more times than not, you're probably not going to win the game. And it wasn't just that Oklahoma last night won the majority of the time. It was that they won almost 100% of the time. I mean, it was it was a shockingly dominant performance on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball for nearly four quarters. There was the the stretch like toward the end of the first and and maybe start of the second where uh, the Oklahoma offense had a couple of drop passes. And I think you kind of talked about this earlier with the play calling a little bit where Lincoln Riley's throwing the football. And and Florida was able to do a few things. I think part of it was just the the quarterback changeup threw off the Oklahoma defense. um, And and then they adjusted, obviously, to Emory Jones. But uh, there was just that small stretch where uh, they didn't dominate the line of scrimmage on either side. But other than that, like, for, for almost four quarters... They were clearly the better team there, so I like. It doesn't matter who your quarterback is or who your receivers are, if you're losing that battle. Yes, those guys can make up for part of it, but it doesn't. It, that doesn't tell the story. That's that's exactly why Oklahoma has lost all these CFP games.
1: Okay, and this and this is really telling. This is really telling. Um, when you think about this, what we have, we got into a re- we media, you, I, everybody that that, that talks and writes for a living. We got into a real bad narrative over the last few years about how the Big 12 doesn't prepare OU for the college football playoff. How playing to to that level of competition didn't get you ready for Georgia, didn't get you ready for the physicality of Alabama or LSU. So, Take into account what happened last night and everything you just said. All that's BS. It's all about the program. It's not about the conference, and it's about the tone you set in your program about what you want to be. Do you want to be that kind of team? And if you do, you go out, recruit, and develop players to be that kind of team. And finally, and then somewhere along, look, it may have clicked early for Lincoln Riley. And he may just not have had the guys on campus to do what he wanted to do, but now he's finally got the guys to be the team that he wants to be. And it doesn't matter that if if, if OU's playing Iowa State or Kansas State or an Oklahoma State, who I mean, for the most part, if you think about the guys that Mike Gundy can get, they're gonna they're going to be more finesse than than Oklahoma is. It doesn't matter that those are the teams that you're playing and they don't necessarily have the caliber of player that are in a lot of these SEC schools. It's you wanted to be that, so you went out and did it. So it's not about the conference. It's about the program. So we have to quit saying as a fan base, as the media, that the big, that, that OU needs to leave the Big 12 if they want to compete for a championship. No, OU just needed to change some things. In order to win a championship, and, and and by Lincoln Riley's offense, offense being more physical, and you talk know, about the offensive line being more physical, and running the ball more. The defense getting to practice against that day in day out certainly made them made them a whole lot better. And, and it, it was nice to see OU create the turnovers that they did last night. It was better to see them tackle and wrap up and, and not miss tackles or have tackles broken. There's a tone finally being set in this program that it's been missing for a very long time. That's good. So that part of it, if there's anything you take away from that game last night and you're an OU fan, at least feel better about maybe where you are get some of the upper on teams in college football in, in terms of physicality. And Clemson proved that to us. The ACC, for the most part, is garbage. But Clemson has really good players in a tone in the program that allows them to compete with whoever they step on the field with.
0: What you're saying is true, for sure. And I, I don't disagree with the, the part about taking care of yourself and all that. I, I will say this. I, I think when you have to face five wide every week and, you know, that up-tempo, like, go as fast as you can, you're never substituting players, like... There is something too facing that every single week, and then getting in a fist fight and and not being prepared. And I think the fact that over the last couple of years we've watched the Big Twelve shift into a more balanced league, and not just the you know the the all out pass attacks that that have been around for for the last ten years. Like everybody's more balanced. You and I have had this conversation how many times this season? Everybody in the conference nearly yeah. is more balanced than they've ever been. I, I do think that helps. I, I don't think it, it may not be the end all be all, because like you like you just explained, I think a lot of it is about you and your personnel. But I also think you have to be able to use that personnel on a weekly basis to to gain physicality. You can't be physical if those guys aren't ever on the football field from from a matchup standpoint. So um I, it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing, I think a little bit. I, I think you you have to go through that on a weekly basis to get that, that physicality, um, so yeah, I mean, I, you make good points though. I, I don't I don't think it's just all one way or the other though.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see because you mentioned balance, and there's, you mentioned balance and physicality, and there's three teams that sort of come to mind in the Big Twelve that 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 have that um, when, when they have their personnel, their right personnel. One Kansas State. Um, Bill Snyder and, and Chris Kleiman, certainly—that's what they want to be. They want to be a tough football team. They don't want to be finesse, and they get a lot. You know, they, both of them get a ton out of the types of players that they get. It's sort of, well, it's kind of amazing that they're able to play that brand of football yeah. with the type of players they get. Um, to Texas, when you when you have Ellinger running the ball, they are a tough physical team and that kid when he runs is a load to take down um and really honestly i mean if you look at texas this year they just didn't have the, the skill positions i mean they were kind of in a way weird uh where's comparison in, in sports just, just off on a diatribe texas and the new England patriots they're <laughs> often kind of seemed like it was, it, it, it was like both it was like mirror images of each other you had a quarterback that could do everything, and no one else really around to help him out. Uh, you know, Decent enough offensive line so they could make some running plays and throw when they needed to, but now Texas is physical. And then Iowa State does a pretty good job of being balanced. Iowa State had a really good running back combination, really good running back quarterback combination, uh, it, excuse me, that, that allowed them to do that. The problem is, and, and going back to your point, I'm going to help you with your point here a little bit, on this and kind of you know, tell you you're right, you're so limited in what you can get when you're at Tech, at TCU, Baylor that you're just kind of in a position where you're, you're probably better off in those schools running the spread because that's what a lot of Texas high schools do and it's just easier for kids to come into your system and acclimate quicker and that's probably that's probably the best way to have success because if Texas high schools as a whole aren't going to be more physical, and there are tons of reasons why coaches want to spread one, but it's a lot easier to win. Right then, you're you're stuck in a situation where, especially at tech Baylor, and TCU, you need to be recruiting your home state because there's a lot of talent there. But it's going to be harder to convince kids in other areas of the country where maybe they play more physical, like in Ohio just for an example, come down to Texas and play for TCU when, if you're in Ohio and maybe you're not good enough to go to Ohio State, Michigan, or Michigan State, you might be good enough to go to Minnesota. You might be good enough to go and and play in the MAC, and it's a lot easier for your parents to come see you than it is if you're going all the way down to Texas. So you're you're hamstrung. And that is never going to change. What OU has to remember is that every week during practice, even though you're, you know, facing five wide whatever, and they're going to spread you out, is that there has to be enough practice voted to you getting into a fist fight with with your team, and that's how OU gets better every week. It's not it sounds stupid. I can't believe I'm about to say this. It sounds, it sounds stupid, but it makes sense based on everything Pat Jones has told me is that OU improves by playing, practicing, and them playing themselves every week more than they necessarily improve by the competition in the Big 12. It's weird, but that, it starts to make a lot of sense yeah. when you see the results that you get this year. Um, and that's, you know, that's what, that's what Coach Jones says, and look, he's forgotten more football than I'll ever know, so I'll concede that point to him.
0: Here's, here's Um, what I would add to that. though That, that, that again, I think is true on a level, but you, you can only do so much in practice and and look, we know this from basically everybody in the country. Nobody practices the same way they used to. So while, while part of that is true, you can't ever fully get to that final destination doing that in practice. So you still need the games to be able to, to really get to the the physicality that you want to get to. So, yeah, I mean nobody's tackling to the ground in in practice settings. It's just not happening. I mean, it, it barely happens, you know, before the season even starts in in spring practices. So, again, it, that's true on a level, but I don't think you're able to to fully get to that point without actual live competition where you're you're all out physical. And again, your point about the the teams that we kind of call physical in this conference, I think I think your point is 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 right, but like for example, West Virginia is is may not be a physical team, but they're way more physical than they were five years ago when it was Geno Smith and and then followed by Will Greer and all the receivers and that pass yeah. attack. Same thing for Baylor. Baylor's way more physical now than it was when it was Bryce Petty and Corey Coleman and Terrence Williams. Uh TCU. TCU's way more physical than when it was Trayvon Boykin and Josh Doxson and you know, all these offenses that were just running five wide and airing the ball out, there's a, there's a completely different level of physicality now with almost everybody in the league than there was five years ago. So even if we're not calling those teams necessarily physical teams the way that we would call Kansas State and Iowa State, you still have to take into account the fact that they are at least headed that way, and they are more physical than they used to be, and that's still a more physical test than it used to be. So it's something that even if they're not as as physically gifted as the guys you see in practice, you're still facing it in a live situation.
1: Uh, and give credit then, with that being the case, a couple a couple of things you got to give credit to. One, Matt Rule. I uh, personally give credit to Matt Rule because he he did that. He's the one that installed that at Baylor, and you have to thank Dave Miranda. Coming from from LSU, even though he was at LSU when they. Won a national championship and and, and we're running the, the the spread and and, and going more up tempo with Joe Burrow still believes in a more physical brand of football and you have to give credit to those two guys and who they're hiring as strength coaches or who the strength coaches are and then working with them and saying this is what we want to be. The other thing you're doing is player development because going back to the sure. idea that it's easier for kids to kids to come out of the spread. To run the spread where the terminology doesn't change all that much, or you're simply using end signals and you're able to get going quicker. If you're getting that, that lineman who has been in a two point stance his entire career, you're saying, all right, we're going to kind of get down to a three point stance or, or, or we're going to teach you that even from a two point stance, you're going to be able to blow people off the ball. I don't want you moving back. I want you going forward then that's a change in the coaching. That's a change in the in the philosophy. 100%, um, yeah. It, and looking at what Matt Wells, I think Matt Wells wants to do that at Texas Tech. Yeah. It's just interesting because I'm not sure that Kirby Hoka wants to do that at Texas Tech. <laughs> and when you talk about Graham Harrell, Um, guys like, you know, Graham, or it wasn't Graham Harrell, it was Sonny Cumbie. They they hired Sonny Cumbie to come back and be the offensive coordinator. It tells you that Kirby Hocutt is taking a page out of the Boise State book. There's a system that's worked at Tech. There's a system that made them very successful. We're going to do that. And we're going to get guys to implement that because that's the kind of kids we can get. So, that, if you want to talk about maybe the, the the most interesting storyline going into the Big 12 next year it is how things play out at Texas Tech with Sonny Cumbie and Matt Wells and Matt Wells maybe wanting to be more physical and Sonny Cumbie going back to and ah, no, we're 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 gonna sling this sucker all 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 over we're gonna beat guys sixty three to fifty six you're just gonna have to deal with it um, that could be an interesting power struggle there um, you know it's a little bit off track but yeah I mean it it's changed to some extent. But you also have to remember in the Big 12, you're still limited. You know, uh, so school you just got so many third tier type schools in the Big 12 that unfortunately, no matter how physical guys are, no matter how much you develop them, there is a ceiling that a lot of these guys can accomplish. And your your skill players in this conference are going to have a much higher ceiling than your guys who are playing in the trenches. And your guys who are generally playing linebacker for most teams. So your defensive backs, your receivers, running back, team you know, like quarterbacks all have a high ceiling where you're where everybody else we talked about, you're gonna top out at some point. Probably about year two, three of your career, you don't see the growth athletically that you're gonna see from some of those other players. And it just it is what it is from that perspective.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I, I think uh, if you're Oklahoma, you just you have to be ecstatic at the job that Bill Bedenbo and Calvin Thibodeau have both done as far as the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, and then obviously, I mean, Alex Grinch, pay him whatever it costs, right? I mean, the job like he has done, <laughs> the job he's done, I didn't think could be done. Like honestly, if you had told me two years ago watching that Oklahoma defense that they would be at this level two years later, I would have thought you were insane. Like, to, 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 a few, a few to take weeks the joke.
1: It's, it's, man. A few weeks ago, yeah. we would have said the same thing. Yeah. Um, well, interesting you mentioned Alex French. Because Phil Haston, the other day on our show from the Tulsa World, he, January 15th was the date he brought up. He said that after January 15th, Alex French is still the, the defensive coordinator, OU's in good shape. So I don't know if he was just throwing that out there or bill knew something where it was like, okay, what do you know? What job? And my first question is what job, what job would he leave for right now?
0: Well, wasn't there I, the I the Arizona report?
1: Yeah. There was the Arizona one. Um, you have to think of your Alex French. You're, you're smarter than Mike suits to take that job. That's a tough, yeah. tough job. That, that's one of the hardest jobs in college football to take. It is truthfully, it's only a slightly better job than Kansas is. <laughs> I mean, there's just way too much, there's just way too much emphasis on basketball out there. And you're in a state that doesn't, while you see kids like Spencer Rattler and Black Birdie come out of the state of Arizona, they're not plentiful with those kids. So they're not plentiful. You're not the football school in the state, even though you are the university of. I mean, your recruiting base is California. And why would a California kid go to Tucson when he can go to Tempe or USC or UCLA or Oregon? Or I mean, there's just, there's so much you fight Um So, yeah, I, I mean, Jed Fish gets good luck to you. Taking that yeah. job, but um, I don't know what job there is out there. I mean, I doubt he'd leave for another DC job. I mean, if your LSU has he, if your LSU has he done a good enough job where you're Edo drawing, you pick up the phone, engage his interest. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I I, I mean, would I would call him. I I, I don't I, think I would have I a reasonable would. expectation that he would take it, but um, yeah, I would call him. I don't know why. You, I, mean, I mean, if you that- were anybody but Clemson, I think you would be foolish to not have him on your list. Again, it doesn't mean you're going to get him, but I mean, this is like the Lincoln-Riley thing. If you are looking for a head coach and Lincoln-Riley isn't on your list, then it's a bad list. Doesn't mean he's going to take any of the jobs. He's probably going to turn them all down. But, you know, it, I think that's just a credit to the job he's done. Same thing for Alex Grinch. Like, I, I don't think there's another D.C. job in the country that he would take. Um I was thinking maybe Alabama, but again, do you I mean, that, that becomes a personality situation. Do you want to deal with Nick Saban every day or not? But um like where OU is well, right now and the trend that the conference is going toward versus like the trend of, of where the SEC is going toward, um, and, and the fact that you already kind of have this thing going in the right direction, like why would you leave for another D C position that's,
1: that is? It, no, that makes a very point. I mean, unless you wanted to go to the NFL which yeah. would make 100% sense if you want to go to the NFL. And it seems like the NFL, a lot, a lot of times, is a much better career path if you just like coaching. Uh, you can go there. You can be in D.C. You don't really have to worry about the media. If things don't work out. Guys who are really good position coaches in the NFL seem to just go from place to place to place. It seems to be, in a weird way, because there's only there's only 30 teams in the NFL or 32 teams in the NFL, there seems to be a little bit more job security or, or it just, it seems that the same guys kind of circulate once they get a reputation, that would be understandable. Um, you know, if you wanted to leave and go to Alabama, what you're sort of saying is because Nick Saban has this track record right. of taking guys in his quarterback or, or his coordinators and his position coaches, and eventually they become head coaches. Okay. That's, that, that's fine, but you mean the D.C. at OU have just as good a shot at getting a head coaching job as you do at Alabama.
0: Agreed. Especially, Especially if the job he's already done. I mean, good
1: Lord. Yeah. And he, he's young. He's the hot name. OU's defense has been down. So there's really just, there's not a carrot, at least from a D.C. standpoint, that you can dangle in front of him that would really pique his interest, I wouldn't think. I mean, and let's, let's just take LSU, for example. And I've said this before, too, so I'm getting sorry about being repetitive. Unless wrong, just decided – and let's just do one hell of a sales job about you've got great players at OU, no doubt. And what you've done with them is fantastic. But you're going to have better players down here. And we're always going to have better players on the defensive side of the ball. So if you really want to see what you can accomplish as a defensive coordinator – this is the place to go because at a certain point when you run up against us or Alabama and you're playing in those playoff games, your guys might be good, they might be really good, but our guys will be great and that will be the difference. I can get you a national championship, Oklahoma can. And I think even that, even if you give them a sales pitch like that, that's even hard to, to 100% guarantee because if you're at Oklahoma, there's no reason you shouldn't win a national championship. And get those types of players. So, you know, there's just no reason for him to uproot. None. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, if and your goal is national championship through, at Oklahoma, I mean, if you win the Big 12 every year, you have a legit shot at being in the playoff every year, right? Like, I mean, they they were a two-loss yeah. Big 12 champ, and they were the sixth seed this year, right? I mean, they were they were right, extremely close. If they don't lose one of those
1: two early games, they're in. So, so he's good. I mean, unless it's just a head coaching job, unless he just and and, and if you're Alex Bridge, be picky, be picky about that For head sure. coaching job. For sure, don't don't go take Washington State. Don't go take um. Oh, wow, Washington State. Forgot about that That's a hard job too. Don't go take yeah. Mississippi State. Um, just following the Mike Leach path here. Uh, don't go take South Carolina. I mean, good luck to Shane Beamer. That's a good job for Shane Beamer. But if you're Alex Prince, you get a better job in South Carolina. I mean, you could be, really honestly, leaving OU as, as a defensive coordinator, why couldn't you get Michigan? Why couldn't you get Georgia? Or, you know, if you're going Pac-12, why couldn't you get the Oregon or USC job? Yeah,
0: for sure. I mean, yeah. I, you're taking the Kirby smart path. I mean, if if, if yeah. that's the route you're going to go, I agree. I, I don't know why, like if it were me viewing this, Arizona's a, a complete no-go. I would much rather stay at Oklahoma and wait for a, a much bigger job to come along. I, I just think the D.C. job at OU is not only maybe as good as the head coaching job at Arizona, but it's, I mean, I, I think it's better. you're going to be able to keep your job <laughs> longer, right? Like, you mentioned Arizona's right. not a great job. It's not, and it has, I, I think, probably unrealistic expectations for what you need to accomplish to be viewed as successful there as well. So, um, I mean, again, Alex Grinch, just the job he's done in two years here has won over so much goodwill. Uh, I know that that could disappear very quickly, but, um, I, yeah, I, I'm... uh, If I were him, I, I would be looking at this from the Kirby Smart perspective of... I'm I'm a premier DC in this in in college football on one of the premier programs in college football, and I'm waiting on a job like a Georgia to open up before I'm I'm making that jump. So, and and here's the other thing: if you've never been a head coach, is this the time with all the COVID restrictions and everything else that's going on that you actually want to make that move and take on that challenge? No,
1: and and here's the thing: coaching at Oklahoma probably gives you a little bit of unrealistic expectations of what most people want out of their head coach. Joker Castillo has been fine with Lincoln Riley being the quarterback coach running the offense, and it's been successful. There are going to be a lot of ADs that, that, that don't want you to do that. They want you to coach your coaches and be more of a CEO type. So the other thing that Alex Prince has got to look at is if he is a little bit of a control freak in the way that Lincoln Riley is, and not meaning that as a bad thing, meaning that I'm in charge of the defense. I make the game plan. I'm going to, I'm going to call the formations every week. It's my baby. Then you've got to find an athletic director. That's cool with that. And doesn't think you're going to be overwhelmed by doing that while also fulfilling all the other obligations that you have to fulfill as, as a head coach. So Alex French, Again, it's it's be picky. And if somebody wants you bad enough, they're going to let you do things your way. And and for that, he needs to stay in Oklahoma another couple of years. That defense needs to continue to be successful, and his stock will continue to rise. Because at that point, when it comes to the negotiations, he can lay it out on the table. If you want me, it's this way or no way. Because I'm set here. I'm in a good position. Being defensive coordinator at OU, that ain't a bad job. We're gonna continue to win and I'm gonna continue to collect rings and if you want me, my terms. Well right now, okay, yeah, he's did a good job, but he's only been in Oklahoma what two years? Yeah. Two or three. Yeah. Two. Um where I'm an athletic director, I might say, Yeah, we're interested and we're gonna pay you a lot of money, but if you're coming here's the way you're going to need to do things. And you don't want to walk into a situation. The other thing you didn't want to walk into is a deal where if you've got a lot of coaches, like the Auburn situation, (laughs) hilarious. You got a bunch of coaches on staff who have (laughs) contracts that are longer than a year. And you've got a defensive coordinator who's making $6 million. And you walk into that situation like, okay, now yeah, we want you, but you've got to keep these four guys, these five guys on staff in order to take the job. Alex Grinch does not strike me as the type of guy that would be willing to buckle in that situation. like, no, nah, I got my guys. Yeah. <laughs> my guys are no guys. So, it's again, you're in control of your own destiny right now. There's no reason to let that be taken out of your hands. Um, so stay at Oklahoma another couple of years, build that resume, or, I mean, heck, if tomorrow somebody wants you bad enough and, and they're willing to do it on your terms, then take that job. No one would hold it against you. Uh, this puts more pressure on Lincoln Riley, but, yeah. you know, he can, he can deal with it. He's a big boy.
0: No doubt. All right, speaking of staying or going, uh, Ramondre Stevenson, what do you think? Does he come back, or did we watch Ramondre Stevenson play his final game as a Sooner?
1: I don't know why he'd leave. Um, he's a good back. He's a good back. What you saw last night with OU from him, McGowan, um, pull up the other running backs, is my my old mind here, Marcus Major, like all those guys. They're good. They're good backs. None of them have that extra gear. So if you're Ramondre Stevenson, while well, you have the size to play in the NFL, and it's not like that extra gear is easier to get. While you have the size to play in the NFL, another year at OU, as long as you don't have a, a, a setback and you can stay healthy the way that um happened with Chuba Hubbard, you're going to improve your draft stock. And you had some decent runs last night, but there were runs that you saw, like that one in the third quarter, you know, had that been DeMarco Murray, had that probably been Joe Mixon, they're gone. That's a touchdown. He, he still got chased down, so that's something you're gonna you're gonna have to. If you can improve speed, um, which are always a question about whether or not you can, he needs to improve on that. So coming back a year would benefit him. I think he comes back. He should come back. He should. I'm on the other side yeah. on that one. I,
0: I think. Interesting. Okay. I think he uh, from a, from just a development standpoint. I kind of think he is what he is. I, I don't I don't know that there's a bunch more development with the guy he's going to be a year from now versus what, what we see today. Number two, I think when you consider the position and just how much, you know, the whole like tire tread conversation that we always have with running backs, like, you know, at some point you've just got to take advantage of, of your opportunities while they're there uh, versus, you know, having that, that wear down factor. And then I think the the last thing for me, when I look at Oklahoma and Kennedy Brooks being back into the equation next season. Like, he goes from being the guy this year to back in a rotation situation, I think a year from now with Kennedy Brooks. On top of the fact, when I go back to my first point about, you know, just kind of the development and kind of thinking he is what he is from that standpoint, I to me, it makes more sense for him to just go now. I, I don't know that even a year from now, he drastically changes his draft stock.
1: That's, that's, that's a good point. Um I'd argue this: you know, Kennedy Brooks opting out this year, which I mean, God, how good would teach <laughs> would pleasure have been? And he just stayed at, at OU um, this this last, this last year. Keep in mind that that you never know what's going to happen. Guys could suffer injuries. Right. Guys can right. decide that they don't want to play. This was this was a weird year, so it's hard to think that that all those circumstances. Um. Line up the way that they do, but yeah, I. If you're him, I I get I get what you're saying, but if you think that there's more to gain out of one year in college football, do it. Um, I think he's probably what about a fourth, fifth run kind of guy, or do you think you you think he goes earlier than that?
0: I I don't see it. I mean most of most of the draft rankings that I see for him are like you know he's like between 10 and 15 on the running back list. Uh, so, I mean, mm-hmm. it, even even if you're the fifth guy, you're not guaranteed to be, you know, a second-round pick. I mean, you're probably talking about third or fourth round, even at that point. So, you know, again, I I just I don't know that it drastically changes a year from now. Maybe, maybe it does, but you're, you're looking at Kennedy Brooks coming back to the equation. You're looking at another year of wear on your body that NFL – Teams, you know, like to consider, and you know, next year there's going to be another group of young running backs that probably have less carries that are going to establish themselves. It just, it's one of those positions where, I think, for the most part, you're not even necessarily talking about draft stock as much as just getting the the right opportunity to go play and taking advantage of it while you physically can. I mean, every Damian Williams in Kansas City, Steely, and I talked about this yesterday. Damian Williams in Kansas City, James Robinson in Jacksonville, like. The running back position is so devalued as far as the NFL draft goes that I, I think part of the decision for these guys isn't necessarily about where you get drafted, but just, hey, I need to go take advantage of my opportunity now and get on the field and just prove once I get into an NFL camp that I can do it and and get that position while my body can still do it for a few years. Maximize Maximize my gonna... carries at the next level, so to
1: speak. Yeah, and I misspoke. I meant Trey Sermon, not T.J. Pledger. So don't don't kill me yeah, for I, that. <laughs> so I you I knew what I knew what, you meant, yeah. I knew what you meant. Yeah. Oh, You 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 could have corrected me. I'm I'm fine with that. Uh, but uh no, I, I get it. Um, and I, I he's a guy that, that strikes me that if if you were to draft him, good red zone guy, good guy to have down on the goal line when you're when you're going to go too tight, power guy that can get you a very tough two, three yards and, and get into the end zone. That may very well be his niche in the NFL. He does his decent job of catching it out of the backfield. But in the NFL you want that guy that has breakaway speed where he doesn't have that. So it prevents him really from being kind of that every down back that that you're going to see. But there's he's physical enough where somebody could find a place where somebody could find a place for him. And he might have a, you know, be a running back, and and they get used up really quick. If he's a guy that really is just a red zone goal line kind of guy, may have a longer career than most guys do at his level.
0: Yeah. All right. How about Creed Humphrey? I know he said last night he hadn't made a decision in his post game availability. Um, this is one that I I kind of just have thought all year long. This is this is the final go round for him.
1: Yeah um that guy's gonna make a lot of money yeah. he's gonna be a really <laughs> good nfl player yeah um, and he's probably over the last you know few months spent a lot of time on the phone with guys like orlando brown and drew samia and uh, and obviously bill beaten and you know he's a really good guy to talk to about all this but it's just it's hard to imagine that 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 Creed Humphrey won't be a first, second round. I, I don't know where you're seeing him projected. I would think he's a, you know, a worst what, second round, third round draft pick. I mean, and that that may be underselling him quite a bit. Now, um, I would say worst yeah, third.
0: Um, mostly where I see him ranked is and going is around the second. Um, and part of that is just you know centers aren't aren't. Uh, taken a lot in the first round, so you know it only takes one, and he's not even necessarily the unanimous number one center available in this draft. So that's the other part where he could absolutely be a first round, and I, I don't rule that out at all. I think that could happen. If I had to like put my money on the line as to where he would be drafted, I think I'd probably go second.
1: Yeah, probably. And when and when you're look, you can go in the first or second round. You got to leave. Yeah, if that's what your draft rate says, there's you have to. Because you really, at that point, you don't want to risk coming back, getting hurt, have something go wrong in that last year. You you may love playing at Oklahoma. You're going to love your college teammates more than you are your NFL teammates because now you're going to work um, versus playing football and hanging out with a bunch of guys. So, no, for him, you absolutely have to go. This, This is your opportunity go take advantage of it. And was a bit shocked last night. He said he think he think about it. I don't know why he's sitting it now. Because when he does, it's going to be the least shocking thing that's happened in OU football all season long.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, some people just like like the college experience. You know, it's hanging out with your boys, and it's not a job. Necess- I mean, it is, but it isn't. You know, it's not the same as like an NFL job. But um, and you and you only get this once. I mean, there's there's not a do over. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. It's you know, it's it's. uh it's definitely an individual decision that there are elements of it that we can never account for, um, you know, as far as the personal side of that thing. So, who knows? Um, by the way, I, I have it right here. Um, I've got Todd McShay's player ranking, and he has Creed Humphrey rated as the number 101st NFL player so um, again I think he's way better than that I think he will get drafted way before the yeah. one hundred first first pick but I'm just giving you an example like it's not just a slam dunk that he's the first center taken or even a first rounder in fact I think McShay has two other centers uh, rated above him so anyway there you go I, I think it's a second round pick for Creed if he goes. I, I absolutely believe, though, I mean, somebody could pull the trigger in the first. Uh, that wouldn't shock me at all.
1: You know, and, and Oklahoma linemen have a pretty good reputation of being able to to go from college to the NFL and, and make that transition, so that alone, I mean, reputation from the school alone could help them move move up a few spots than what Todd Shea has in rank, so right. that's I mean, just Again, it's one of those things. You start putting putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. There, You almost have to, with Creed Humphrey, you have to find a reason for him not to go. Yep. Versus, yep. when you talk about Ramondre Stevenson, it, yeah, I think you have to find reasons for him not to stay, but, but we disagree on that one a little
0: bit. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about the defensive lineman. Isaiah Thomas already last night said he's coming back. I think there is an interesting conversation for uh, Ronnie Perkins, Perrion Winfrey, and Nick Benito. So give me your thoughts on those three guys.
1: Um, again, for me, this is going to sound so boring, but it just depends on where your draft rate is. Yeah. And in second, if you're if you're as high as a, if they give you a second-round pick, or they give you a, a second-round grade, then, then you have to go. I um, think all those guys would benefit from one more year at OU. And some of that is selfishness. Because you don't want to see OU take a step back defensively, which when these guys leave, they very, OU very well could. They may not be as good next year as, as they were this year. They may start out in a very similar situation where they have to get better as the year goes on and that just drives you nuts. So selfishly, if they can just stick around one more year and and develop, that would be great. Um but need I Benito's gonna be a really good NFL player. Yeah. Um and and Second, the third round should be enough for him to leave. I saw him in a, I think he,
0: I think it was either CBS or PFF had him as a first round pick in a mock draft that I looked at yesterday morning.
1: Well, then he needs to go. Then at that stage, you you just go. Terrell um, Winfrey. I think if you look at the success that Neville Gallimore's having in Dallas, you're pretty confident you can go make that transition. I think by, I think by the end of it, all three of these guys will be gone. Um, and it's just, you know, the, the opportunities there, you only get it once so go ahead and take advantage of it. You just hope that the depth that OU has is good enough to replace these guys or even be better. And that's going to be tough, but, but Hey, in an hour strength, we trust, right?
0: Yeah, no doubt. I, the Benito thing is interesting because maybe two weeks ago, not that he's any different as a player, But I think perception always plays a big role in things. And two weeks ago, I probably would have been on the opposite side of this. But as Nick Benito starts getting, you know, all these All-American recognitions and and things like that, he's getting noticed. It obviously, you know, puts the light bulb on NFL people and they start noticing. And so I think if if he is on the radar for NFL people as a first to second round guy, I, I think that that changes things drastically and he has to go I I think with the other two guys Perry on Winfrey and Ronnie Perkins will be really interesting because I think for both of those those guys they could come back and like absolutely solidify themselves as first round picks in the 2022 draft that said this is a really interesting year because I, I, I know that there are a lot of NFL teams who aren't scouting the same way that they do in a traditional year and I was I was listening to a an NFL podcast a week ago and they were talking about how I think this year, as far as the, you know, player rankings and stuff like that, mock drafts, you're going to see more player movement from like the end of the season until the NFL draft than you've ever seen. And look, every single year we watch a ton of player movement from like the end of the season to the NFL draft, but that might be considerably more this year because you don't have the same starting point as, as you normally would. So Teams are starting the draft evaluations and their draft process later than they ever have. I do fully believe that if Perkins and Perion Winfrey are available and teams feel like there's a chance they're going to come out or they do come out, that when they really start studying the film and watching these guys and doing their full evaluations, I think both of those guys skyrocket as far as their their uh, draft evaluation. So part of that, I think, is is from that standpoint. But if they do come back, I think both guys could could really solidify themselves as just guaranteed number ones uh, a year from now. So um, I, I think it's it's kind of one of those things for both of those guys. If you gamble on yourself, I think it does pay off this season. But I think you can you could probably feel safe in knowing that you come back with the spotlight you're going to have next year and have a real opportunity to to guarantee that that maybe number one next to your name.
1: Uh, okay. So based on what you said, so are we going to see virtual pro days? Is that the way things are going to go down? Are we going to, is it going to be limited number of people that show up to the combine this year or the interviews going to be done via zoom meeting? Is that how this thing's going get, to get taken care of this we'll see. year?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's very possible. We didn't even have a combine last year, right?
1: Right. And,
0: I think they will do something. They will, they will. I mean, I I think that we at least have more information today than we did when the combine was supposed to happen earlier this year. So I think that we've seen sports happen. We've seen people put protocols into place to operate around this, this uh, COVID situation. So I think we will have those things, but yeah, I don't think it's going to be your, your normal setup. It's going to, there are going to be changes to it. You, you know, they're, there, it's it's not going to be your traditional draft evaluation that we, we normally have. So I don't think it's going to be non-existent uh, like it was a year ago or, or this past year. But, yeah, it's not going to be the same thing as, as we usually have.
1: Yeah, It'll be interesting to see if it, if you move like you have the quarterback in one part of the country and the, and, and the lineman in, in, in another part of the country you just try to spread it out. As much as you can, and have those guys operate in a bubble, which might be the safest way to do it. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's really interesting. But look, they, I, I think if if you get along with Isaiah Thomas, even one of those three guys on the defensive line to come back, that is a that is a major
1: win. Yeah, it, it would be for OU. I just think it's 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 gonna be tough. I just, it's so hard nowadays to get kids to come back for that for that extra year, and even even with the NIL and Congress looking at you know how you can get college players to to make money, how you can change that up a little bit, it's still the money is just it's just too much money to ask these guys to turn down, especially. When it's a fleeting career, and you may only have two and a half years to to, to get it in, um, you got you got to kind of what not, not you you have to know what you are as a player to know if it's worth it to take that risk. But with so much money out there, and, and everybody just staying in college for three years, it's just you're asking you're asking so much of these guys to just kind of give up that money. Um, especially when, you, when, if the kid's thinking to himself, it's never going to get any better than this. Yeah. So you go for it.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I think the uh, there's a very good chance, man. The 2021 Sooners are going to be a problem. So uh, it's going to be fun to monitor as far as the the player movement. But either way, I think I mean next year is a big year for Lincoln Riley, and and you know I think even with the uh, the the decimated Florida roster. The win last night certainly elevates expectations for 2021. No matter what. So, uh, final thoughts, Eric, as we as we get ready to wrap this thing up. Final thoughts on last night and Oklahoma's win.
1: Well, it was just good. one. It was good to see a dominating performance over a name opponent. That was good. The, the other thing that was that was so good about last night was just to see an, an OU team come out. And completely be into this game from the from the word go. At no point was there was there ever really a letdown from them. They may not have executed as as well as they could have in points, but that was great. I also, while wow, this game is an indictment on the ball season. Let's not overlook that. Yeah. And and if you're gonna or if you're gonna have that many kids opt out, and they're gonna feel like you know nine kids, nine starters opting out for it, they feel like it's just not important enough to play then it's long overdue to change the system and expand the playoffs. Just just get it done. Don't wait any longer after this year, after this playoff. Get everyone on the Zoom meeting and, and figure out how to how to how to make how to make the necessary changes you need so we don't get a bunch of garbage bowl games in, in, in December. Uh, not that, that one was last night, but there are other ones that, you know, you just don't want to watch because the kids don't care as much.
0: Always good stuff, my friend. Enjoy our conversations. Uh, Have fun in uh, in Dallas and have a safe trip back.
1: Thank you very much, Colby.
0: Happy New Year, brother. Happy New Year. Eric G. joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. Visit the website abotanicalcompany.com or give them a call four zero five four five eight 405 458 9699 educate yourself on their line of natural medicine products and how they can benefit your daily life they're all about helping people live a better life they're all about answering questions or helping educate you on what your ailments may be and how you can benefit from what they have available so uh, check out the website newly remodeled website it is outstanding abotanicalcompany.com easy to order, easy and safe pickup at Artisan Botanicals. Plus, we're saving you 15% off off of your online order. Enter the code Colby Show, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, Colby Show, to get 15% off your online order at abotanicalcompany.com. All right, guys, uh, 2020 is in the books, final day of this god-awful year. But look, uh, I think for everybody, we're all just kind of looking forward to a reset. Not that things drastically change tomorrow when the calendar uh, turns to 2021, but I think mentally we could all just use that reset and the feeling of a fresh start. So uh, I hope everybody has a happy and safe new year. I hope everybody is, uh, ready to just kind of reset and start fresh and looking forward to a more positive 2021. And I wish you all the best. Uh, I I really appreciate you guys checking out the podcast every day, the daily stream. We're going to be switching this thing over to YouTube uh, before long. and, And the episodes after the live stream are already being posted there as well. So if you miss the live stream, you can still watch it at YouTube. Just search Colby Daniels and you'll find it there. Anyway, everybody have a happy new year. Stay safe. And I will talk to you tomorrow.
1: Podcast is over.